Welcome to Rebecca Reads. Today's story is The Wedding of Sir Gawain. This story is pretty long, so I have broken it up into two parts. This story comes from the tales told about King Arthur. Stories about Arthur are more legend and myth than actual history. This makes many people think that King Arthur never existed. Was Arthur a real person? Probably. Some believe that King Arthur helped the native people of England, the Celts, fight off a group of invaders called the Saxons. Stories that surround famous people tend to change into legends over time. Have you ever played the game Telephone or told a story over and over again? Does the original thing said stay the same or does it change? As people tell the story over and over, they start to add embellishments or change them to illustrate a value they want people to have, like bravery or loyalty. The stories surrounding King Arthur may not be historically accurate, but they are wonderful stories that have lasted centuries. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I do. Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. And now for part one of The Wedding of Sir Gawain. One year, the noble King Arthur was keeping his Christmas at Carlisle with great pomp and state. By his side sat his lovely Queen Guinevere, the brightest and most beauteous bride that a king ever wedded, and about him were gathered the knights of the round table. Never had a king assembled so goodly a company of valiant warriors as now sat in due order at the round table in the great hall of Carlisle Castle, and King Arthur's heart was filled with pride as he looked on his heroes. There sat Sir Lancelot, not yet the betrayer of his lord's honor and happiness, with Sir Bors and Sir Banier. There Sir Bedivere, loyal to King Arthur till death, there, surly Sir Kay, the churlish steward of the king's household, and King Arthur's nephews, the young and gallant Sir Gareth, the gentle and courteous Sir Gawain, and the false, gloomy Sir Mordred, who wrought King Arthur's overthrow. The knights and ladies were ranged in their fitting degrees and ranks. The servants and pages waited and carved and filled the golden goblets, and the minstrels sang to their harps the lays of heroes of the olden time. Yet in the midst of all this splendor the king was ill at ease, for he was a warlike knight and longed for some new adventure, and of late none had been known. Arthur sat moodily among his knights and drained the wine cup in silence, and Queen Guinevere, gazing at her husband, durst not interrupt his gloomy thoughts. At last the king raised his head and, striking the table with his hand, exclaimed fiercely, "'Are all my knights sluggards or cowards, that none of them goes forth to seek adventures? You are better fitted to feast well in hall than fight well in field.' Is my fame so greatly decayed that no man cares to ask for my help or my support against evil doers? I vow here, by the boar's head and by Our Lady, that I will not rise from this table till some adventure be undertaken. Sire, your loyal knights have gathered round you to keep the holy yuletide in your court, replied Sir Lancelot. And Sir Gawain said, "'Fair uncle, we are not cowards, but few evildoers dare to show themselves under your rule. Hence it is that we seem idle. But see yonder, by my faith now cometh an adventure.' Even as Sir Gawain spoke, a fair damsel rode into the hall, with flying hair and disordered dress, and, dismounting from her steed, knelt down sobbing at Arthur's feet.' 
She cried aloud so that all heard her. A boon, a boon, King Arthur, I beg a boon of you. What is your request? said the king, for the maiden was in great distress, and her tears filled his heart with pity. What would you have of me? I cry for vengeance on a churlish knight who has separated my love from me. Tell your story quickly, said King Arthur, and all the knights listened as the lady spoke. I was betrothed to a gallant knight, she said, whom I loved dearly, and we were entirely happy until yesterday. Then, as we rode out together, planning our marriage, we came through the moorland ways, unnoticing to a fair lake, Tarnwaithalen, where stood a great castle, with streamers flying and banners waving in the wind. It seemed a strong and goodly place, but alas, it stood on magic ground, and within the enchanted circle of its shadow an evil spell fell on every knight who set foot therein. As my love and I looked idly at the mighty keep, a horrible and churlish warrior, twice the size of mortal man, rushed forth in complete armor. Grim and fierce-looking he was, armed with a huge club, and sternly he bade my knight leave me to him and go his way alone. Then my love drew his sword to defend me, but the evil spell had robbed him of all strength, and he could do naught against the giant's club. His sword fell from his feeble hand, and the churlish knight, seizing him, caused him to be flung into a dungeon. He then returned and sorely ill-treated me, though I prayed for mercy in the name of chivalry and of merry mother. At last, when he set me free and bade me go, I said I would come to King Arthur's court and beg a champion of might to avenge me, perhaps even the king himself. But the giant only laughed aloud. "'Tell the foolish king,' quoth he, "'that here I stay his coming, and that no fear of him shall stop my working my will on all who come. Many knights have I in prison, some of them King Arthur's own true men, wherefore bid him fight with me, if he will win them back.' Thus laughing and jeering loudly at you, King Arthur, the churlish knight returned to his castle, and I rode to Carlisle as fast as I could. When the lady had ended her sorrowful tale, all present were greatly moved with indignation and pity, but King Arthur felt that insult most deeply. He sprang to his feet in great wrath and cried aloud, I vow by my knighthood and by the holy rood that I will go forth to find that proud giant and will never leave him till I have overcome him. The knights applauded their lord's vow, but Queen Guinevere looked doubtfully at the king, for she had noticed the damsel's mention of magic, and she feared some evil adventure for her husband. The damsel stayed in Carlisle that night, and in the morning, after he heard mass and bidden farewell to his wife, King Arthur rode away. It was a lonely journey to Tarn Waithlin, but the country was very beautiful, though wild and rugged, and the king soon saw the little lake gleaming clear and cold below him, while the enchanted castle towered up above the water, with banners flaunting defiantly in the wind. The king drew his sword Excalibur and blew a loud note on his bugle. Thrice his challenge note resounded, but brought no reply, and then he cried aloud, Come forth, proud knight. King Arthur is here to punish you for your misdeeds. Come forth and fight bravely. If you are afraid, then come forth and yield yourself my thrall. The churlish giant darted out at the summons, brandishing his massive club, and rushed straight at King Arthur. The spell of the enchanted ground seized the king at that moment, and his hand sank down. Down fell his good sword Excalibur, 
down fell his shield, and he found himself ignominiously helpless in the presence of his enemy. Now the giant cried aloud, Yield or fight, King Arthur, which will you do? If you fight, I shall conquer you, for you have no power to resist me. You will be my prisoner with no hope of ransom, will lose your land and spend your life in my dungeon with many other brave knights. If you yield, I will hold you to ransom, but you must swear to accept the terms I shall offer. What are they? asked King Arthur. The giant replied, You must swear solemnly by the holy rood that you will return here on New Year's Day and bring me a true answer to the question, What thing is it that all women most desire? If you fail to bring the right answer, your ransom is not paid and you are yet my prisoner. Do you accept my terms? The king had no alternative. So long as he stood on the enchanted ground, his courage was overborne by the spell, and he could only hold up his hand and swear by the sacred cross and by Our Lady that he would return, with such answers as he could obtain on New Year's Day. Ashamed and humiliated, the king rode away, but not back to Carlisle. He would not return home till he had fulfilled his task. So he rode east and west and north and south, and asked every woman and maid he met the question the churlish knight had put to him. What is it that all women most desire? he asked, and all gave him different replies. Some said riches, some splendor, some pomp and state. Others declared that fine attire was woman's chief delight, yet others voted for mirth or flattery. Some declared that a handsome lover was the cherished wish of every woman's heart, and among them all the king grew quite bewildered. He wrote down all the answers he received and sealed them with his own seal to give to the churlish knight when he returned to the castle of Tarn Wathelin. But in his own heart King Arthur felt that the true answer had not yet been given to him. He was sad as he turned and rode towards the giant's home on New Year's Day, for he feared to lose his liberty and lands, and the lonely journey seemed much more dreary than it had before, when he rode out from Carlisle so full of hope and courage and self-confidence. Arthur was riding mournfully through a lonely forest when he heard a woman's voice greeting him. God save you, King Arthur. God save and keep you. And he turned at once to see the person who thus addressed him. He saw no one at all on his right hand, but as he turned to the other side, he perceived a woman's form clothed in brilliant scarlet. The figure was seated between a holly tree and an oak, and the berries of the former were not more vivid than her dress, and the brown leaves of the latter not more brown and wrinkled than her cheeks. At first sight, King Arthur thought he must be bewitched. No such nightmare of a human face had ever seemed to him possible. Her nose was crooked and bent hideously to one side, while her chin seemed to bend to the opposite side of her face. Her one eye was set deep under her beetling brow, and her mouth was naught but a gaping slit. Round this awful countenance hung snaky locks of ragged gray hair, and she was deadly pale, with a bleared and dimmed blue eye. The king nearly swooned when he saw this hideous sight, and was so amazed that he did not answer her salutation. The loathly lady seemed angered by the insult. 
Now Christ save you, King Arthur, who are you to refuse to answer my greeting, and take no heed of me? Little of courtesy have you and your knights in your fine court in Carlisle, if you cannot return a lady's greeting. Yet, Sir King, proud as you are, it may be that I can help you, loathly though I be, but I will do not for one who will not be courteous to me. King Arthur was ashamed of his lack of courtesy, and tempted by the hint that here was a woman who could help him. "'Forgive me, lady,' said he. "'I was sorely troubled in mind, and thus, and not for want of courtesy, did I miss your greeting. You say that you can perhaps help me. If you would do this, lady, and teach me how to pay my ransom, I will grant anything you ask as a reward.' The deformed lady said, "'Swear to me by Holy Rood and by Mary Mother "'that you will grant me whatever boon I ask, "'and I will help you to the secret. "'Yes, Sir King, I know by secret means "'that you seek the answer to the question, "'What is it all most women desire? "'Many women have given you many replies, "'but I alone, by my magic power, "'can give you the right answer.' This secret I will tell you, and in truth it will pay your ransom when you have sworn to keep faith with me. Indeed, O grim lady, the oath I will take gladly, said King Arthur, and when he had sworn it with uplifted hand, the lady told him the secret, and he vowed with great bursts of laughter that this was indeed the right answer. When the king had thoroughly realized the wisdom of the answer, he rode on to the castle of Tarnwathlin and blew his bugle three times. As it was New Year's Day, the churlish knight was ready for him and rushed forth, club in hand, ready to do battle. Sir Knight, said the king, I bring here writings containing answers to your question. They are replies that many women have given and should be right. These I bring in ransom for my life and lands. The churlish knight took the writings and read them one by one, and each one he flung aside till all had been read. Then he said to the king, You must yield yourself and your lands to me, King Arthur, and rest my prisoner, for though these answers may be many and wise, not one is the true reply to my question, your ransom is not paid, and your life and all you have is forfeit to me. Alas, sir knight, quoth the king, stay your hand, and let me speak once more before I yield to you. It is not much to grant to one who risks life and kingdom and all. Give me leave to try one more reply. To this the giant assented, and King Arthur continued, This morning, as I rode through the forest, I beheld a lady sitting, clad in scarlet, between an oak and a holly tree. She says, All women will have their own way, and this is their chief desire. Now confess that I have brought the true answer to your question, and that I am free, and have paid the ransom for my life and lands. The giant waxed furious with rage, and shouted, A curse upon that lady who told you this! It must have been my sister, for none but she knew the answer. Tell me, was she ugly and deformed? When King Answer replied that she was a loathly lady, the giant broke out, I vow to heaven that if I can once catch her, I will burn her alive, for she has cheated me of being king of Britain. Go your ways, Arthur. You have not ransomed yourself, but the ransom is paid and you are free. Gladly, the king rode back to the forest where the loathly lady awaited him and stopped to greet her. I'm free now, lady, thanks to you. What boon do you ask in reward for your help? I have promised to grant it you, whatever it may be. This is the boon, King Arthur, that you will bring some young and courteous knight from your court in Carlisle to marry me, 
and he must be brave and handsome too. You have sworn to fulfill my request, and you cannot break your word. These last words were spoken as the king shook his head, and seemed on the point of refusing a request so unreasonable. But at this reminder he only hung his head and rode slowly away, while the unlovely lady watched him with a look of mingled pain and glee. On the second day of the new year, King Arthur came home to Carlisle. Wearily he rode along and dismounted at the castle, and wearily he went into his hall, where sat Queen Guinevere. She had been very anxious during her husband's absence, for she dreaded magic arts, but she greeted him gladly and said, "'Welcome, my dear lord and king, welcome home again. What anxiety I have endured for you! But now you are here, all is well. What news do you bring, my liege? Is the churlish knight conquered?' Where have you had him hanged, and where is his head? Placed on a spike above some town gate? Tell me your tidings, and we will rejoice together. King Arthur only sighed heavily as he replied, Alas, I have boasted too much. The churlish knight was a giant who has conquered me, and set me free on conditions. My lord, tell me how this has chanced. His castle is an enchanted one, standing on enchanted ground, and surrounded with a circle of magic spells which sapped the bravery from a warrior's mind and the strength from his arm. When I came on his land and felt the power of his mighty charms, I was unable to resist him, but fell into his power and had to yield myself to him. He released me on condition that I would fulfill one thing which he bade me accomplish, and this I was enabled to do by the help of a loathly lady— but that help was dearly bought, and I cannot pay the price myself. By this time, Sir Gawain, the king's favorite nephew, had entered the hall and greeted his uncle warmly. Then, with a few rapid questions, he learnt the king's news and saw that he was in some distress. "'What have you paid the loathly lady for her secret, uncle?' he asked. "'Alas, I have paid her nothing, but I promised to grant her any boon she asked, and she has asked a thing impossible.' "'What is it?' asked Sir Gawain. "'Since you have promised it, the promise must needs be kept. "'Can I help you to perform your vow?' "'Yes, you can, fair nephew Gawain, "'but I will never ask you to do a thing so terrible,' said King Arthur. "'I'm ready to do it, uncle, were it to wed the loathly lady herself.' "'That is what she asks, that a fair young knight should marry her. "'But she is too hideous and deformed. "'No man could make her his wife.' "'If that is all your grief,' replied Sir Gawain, "'things shall soon be settled. "'I will wed this ill-favoured dame, and will be your ransom.' "'You know not what you offer,' answered the king. "'I never saw so deformed a being. "'Her speech is well enough, but her face is terrible, "'with crooked nose and chin, and she has only one eye.' "'She must be an ill-favoured maiden, but I heed it not,' said Gawain gallantly, "'so that I can save you from trouble and care.' "'Thanks, dear Gawain. Thanks a thousand times. Now, through your devotion, I can keep my word. Tomorrow we must fetch your bride from her lonely lodgings in the greenwood, but we will feign some pretext for the journey. I will summon a hunting party, with horse and hound and gallant riders, and then shall know that we go to bring home so ugly a bride.' "'Gramercy, uncle,' said Sir Gawain. "'Till tomorrow I am a free man.' Thank you for listening to part one of The Wedding of Sir Gawain. Could Arthur just fight his way through his problem? Could he solve his problem on his own? Is Sir Gawain a loyal knight to his king? Why do you think that? This week's poem is She Walks in Beauty by Lord Byron. It reads, 
She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies, and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes, thus mellowed to that tender light which heaven to gaudy day denies. One shade the more, one ray the less, had half impaired the nameless grace which waves in every raven tress, or softly lightens o'er her face, where thoughts serenely sweet express how pure, how dear their dwelling place. And on that cheek, and o'er that brow, so soft, so calm, yet eloquent, the smiles that win, the tints that glow, but tell of days and goodness spent, a mind at peace with all below, a heart whose love is innocent. And that is another episode of Rebecca Reads. Do you enjoy this podcast? Please rate it and leave me a review. That is one way more people can find me and start enjoying all of these stories with us. Also, tell your friends about it. Then you can talk about the stories together or act them out. Later this month, we are going to do something really fun, so be sure to stay with me for that. Make sure you keep reading and join me next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.